This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michelle Taylor-Willis, and we're going to talk about how she has led an amazing journey to founding Ganyo Media and as a master strategist. Before we begin, I'll remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're ready to discover, embrace, and share your voice and create the tactical content that delivers, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can do just that for you. Michelle, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Zach. I'm excited. So I am super excited. You're a local Atlantean. This is always fun to talk to folks that are nearby and we were introduced by a mutual friends, so hopefully we bring the value for that introduction. And I want to give the audience just an opportunity to know a little bit about you. And I think this is just going to skim the surface compared to the conversation we're really going to have where you're the founder, as I mentioned, of Ganyo Media. You're a Florida native. You're married. You have four sons and you reside, obviously, here in Atlanta, Georgia. You're a proud graduate of <coughs> University of Florida. Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> Was that really necessary? Uh, uh, mm. But you're also an award-winning media executive, TV host, (laughs) author, speaker, master strategist. Recently launched your first book, Raising Significance, A Guide to Well-Rounded, Independent, and Confident Kids. You've appeared on nationally syndicated TV shows from Tamron Hall show on ABC, discuss the book, all the way to the Fox affiliate here in Atlanta. You also host the According to Michelle TV show which is featured weekly via VTV network through Amazon Fire and Roku platforms. Overall, you're just an amazing woman that has done incredible things. Like I said, that's just barely scraping the surface. And I want the audience to know just something a little bit fun about you that we might not know before we start unpacking the rest of your journey. Tell us a fun fact, Michelle. Ooh, a fun fact. Gosh, there's so many fun facts. I was a competitive gymnast for about 10 years. I did gymnastics. Pretty hot and heavy. Is that fun fact? It is. What was your arena? What do you like doing the most in gymnastics? I think probably the floor routine. I have, you know, like big legs, you know, powerful legs, bottom half, so to speak. And I could really, after I started saying that, I'm like, I don't know if I like the way that's now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to let it slide. It's, 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 the University of Florida coming out in you. Oh, so I was going to let it go. Right. That's enough of you. <laughs> Yeah. And so I was just very powerful on the floor um, and on the vault. Right. So I really enjoyed, I enjoyed floor. I hated beam. Hated the beam. Really? Yeah. That always yeah. seems like to be the popular one of them all besides the floor. Obviously the floor is very fun, but. Yeah. The beam just takes, I mean, it's a lot, you know what I mean? It takes a lot of concentration. You have to actively not be nervous on the beam. You know what I mean? Oh, it's um, terrifying. You like flipping and twisting and spinning and you're like, what, five, six feet off the ground, ready for a yeah, splat? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I took a few of those splats, but I remember when you took, when I took those splats, gymnastics is great life lessons, right? And I tell people all the time, like if I had girls, which I don't, but if I had girls, I would put them in gymnastics. Gymnastics makes the best women. I just got to tell you. But one of the things that would happen is that we would always, my coaches, anytime like we took a major spill, 
we have to get right back up. Like, so I remember I was doing like a back tuck on the beam one time and completely just like both of my feet just missed, right? So both my feet missed the beam. I like straddled the beam and then like literally like just fell off. I mean, it was just disastrous. And I was just laying there. My coach was like, get up, Taylor. Taylor is what they used to call me. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, get up and do it again. Get up. And, and it was like life, right? Like it was a disastrous fall. I could have been hurt. I mean, they didn't care if you're hurt or not. Get up, right? And so I remember I got back up and I did it again and I stuck it perfectly after a disaster spill. spill. So, I mean, it's life, right? I mean, you take these falls and you feel like they're so hard. You can't recover from, from them. Everybody's watching. Everybody's looking at you. You know, your life is over. And then you just, you get back up and you do it again and you stick it. And I think there's so much value attached to that, especially when we saw the Olympics come around. um, What was that last year, the year before? And we saw a bunch of gymnasts that were starting to struggle with that mentality, right? The pressure of being a high performer. And I think it transitions really well into entrepreneurship where, especially with what you're doing, you're so far in front of the camera. You have to have that confidence. You have to have that presence about you to have, what would you call that? Resilience, a a mindset of resilience. How would you describe that? Resilience is a great term for it. And, you know, everybody talks about like this imposter syndrome now. Imposter syndrome is real. As an entrepreneur, right? As somebody like building your own business and the bigger the business gets, you start thinking, okay, wait, am I equipped to like run a million dollar business? Am I equipped to run a a billion dollar business? Like, do I really want to do that? Am I really growing to a billion dollar bit? Because that's what I tell myself, right? I tell myself, I own a billion dollar company. I just believe we should tell ourselves things before they actually happen so that they will happen. But sometimes in my head, I'm like, Michelle, you sound crazy. Like your company's not going to be a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Or, but yeah, there's this resilience factor where like you have to constantly be in the mindset that no matter what, it's, it's going to work. No matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you screw up, you're going to find a way to make it happen. Yeah, and, I, and I love that that's the mindset you have towards it because it's one of those, even just talking about gymnastics where you fell off the beam, but it's one of those, you know, get back up on the horse type of thing. You fall off, you keep going. Yeah. A lot of what you wanted, what you do, I want to highlight this with your organization. What y'all focus on is you help people get that visibility, right? You get help them get out there. You help them put that mindset, that personal brand, whatever it may be with their business, you help them put it out there. Can you explain a little bit more about Ganyo Media and what you help clients accomplish in their mission? Yeah. So Ganyo Media is a company that's built for small businesses. We help small businesses develop quality and affordable advertising. And when we say small business, we don't mean small business like less than 300 employees, SBA, small business, right? We mean small business like that 350,000 revenue to maybe six, $7 million in revenue, that, that small business that often struggles to advertise or to do any kind of marketing. And so we do that by creating our own content and owning our own content and running ads on that content. So one of those things we have is a magazine called SoFu Lifestyle Magazine, which is seven years old, almost to the month. And then the According to Michelle TV show, which you mentioned, Over the Top with Michelle Taylor Willis. And then we also lease billboards. So yeah, that's how it works. What you're doing, and I love that you're now pushing that forward where 
talking about mindset resilience, putting that, putting yourself forward and now offering a service that does that same thing. A lot of that comes back to having the confidence and having the capability to create a platform, which is really like the strength in marketing and advertising these days is like having your own platform, podcasting, TV shows, whatever that may be, and growing it from there where you have, and you, you said it, you kind of alluded to it, you have control over that, that realm. You're not relying on the Facebooks of the world to build right. a third party advertising platform. Have you seen clients just really enjoy that aspect, knowing that they have the confidence in you to do the right thing and not have to worry about that like third party influence of a Facebook or Zuckerberg kind of going crazy on them? You know, I think people can appreciate what we're building, right? They can appreciate the fact that this is our content and these are our mediums for the most part. I mean, I don't own everything, right? Maybe a percentage of some of it. But, you know, they can appreciate the fact that they are, first of all, they're behind a brand. So behind Ganyo Media is Michelle Taylor Willis, right? And MTW helped build the magazine and the media company in whole. So a lot of times when people are buying in the media company, they're buying a part of my brand, right? It's my face on the TV show. It's my face, my voice on the radio show. So when people, you know, when people trust in the company, they are also kind of trusting in me to be able to bring the audience and so that people will see their products, right? People will see their advertising. So I think that that's refreshing and people like really buy into that. And they think it's cool that, yeah, they don't have to run and spend a lot of money um, on a major network when they want the local audience bought in to what they're doing, right? That they can do it just through us. So yeah, I think there's kind of this like appreciation factor in it, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really love that aspect of it because it, it does. And especially with the community here in Atlanta, I know you do a lot of work here in Metro Atlanta itself. where you are actually giving back to the community. And I want to make sure I highlight that because I think so often people think, oh, she's not you specifically, but oh, yeah. that person's made it. She's big time now. She forgot where she came from. But it looks like everything you've done, you've really paid it forward back into the community that you live in and a part of. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're involved in the community here in Atlanta? Yeah. So thank you for saying that. And it's funny you mentioned that. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, right? And it's funny. I've been kind of ruminating on the fact that I do a lot here in Atlanta and I'll answer your question. But I was thinking just over the last week or so that, man, I wonder if I should be doing more things in Jacksonville, because I'm from Jacksonville and I love Jacksonville, but I don't do, I haven't done a lot in my hometown. So I'm thinking I might have to start doing that, but here in Atlanta, absolutely. So what do I do here in Atlanta? I chair the board for the United Way, the advisory board for the United Way down in South Fulton County, which I called SOFU. I rebranded that area and called it SOFU. So I chair the United Way board down there. I chair the board or I'm the outgoing chair for a theater company, a nonprofit here in Atlanta. It's called Théâtre du Rev, and it's the only French-speaking theater company in America, built for francophones or French-speaking people. So I chair that board. I am on the board of directors for the South Fulton Chamber of Commerce, and I serve as their VP of Film and Entertainment. I mean, one of the things I do there is sit on the Camera Ready Committee. So any kind of productions that are coming in and they want to get, they want to get approval to be able to film in any of these cities that I kind of oversee, they have to come through my committee. So that's cool. So I know all the cool things or a lot of the cool things that are actually kind of happening from a production standpoint. So film, TV, any of those things. So that's kind of cool because I have the inside track on that. 
I sit on the board for Atlanta CASA. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate for Kids That Don't Have Parents. So CASA is a national organization. So I'm on the board here, the Atlanta chapter. And I'm also the, the secretary for the Morris Brown College Foundation Board. You're doing so much. And I love highlighting that because I want to go back to before the Michelle Taylor Willis that we know now, go all the way back. What was that first that first catalyst that got you on this path? Was it a first leadership position, a mentor? What got you going to really build this monstrous brand that you have going? Man, I love how you, you said that. Let's talk about the Michelle Taylor Willis before now. You know, before now, it wasn't Michelle Taylor Willis. It was Michelle Willis, you know, as a married person. And it was just, or Michelle Taylor, you know. But yeah, before Michelle Taylor Willis, 17 years ago, it was just Michelle Willis. And I was just, not just, but, you know, I was a sales rep. I was in pharmaceutical sales. I sold medical devices. You know, I was in sales. Uh, sales leader, sales trainer. And then I kind of eventually kind of branched off on my own. I was always an entrepreneur. I always had a side hustle, so to speak. So even as a corporate junkie, I was working for large brands, Johnson & Johnson. I always had like, I mean, I had an online bakery. I bake from scratch. I had an HR consulting company, which I eventually, that became my full-time gig. As a, a hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You, ba- you bake from scratch and I haven't I had a single bakery item and I'm like a certified fat kid. I'm a well, little bit upset right now. I did not well, notice first of all, First of all, I don't see any fat on you. I do see <laughs> up and down, but I don't see well, fat. All right, I want to be a certified fat kid and I need the goodies. Hang you have an inner fat guy wanting to get out? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I do bake. I used to bake. In fact, I still, I mean, I bake a lot over the holidays. I mean, cakes and cinnamon rolls and yeast rolls. Yeah, I like to cook, but I love to bake. So yeah, I had an online bakery. So I had all these things that I was doing as a side entrepreneur. And, And so when I left corporate America to focus on this HR consulting company that I built with three other people, which was a fantastic company, and I should have sold it. I should have kept it and sold it. But if I knew now what I knew then, and I didn't know anything about building and exiting or any of that stuff. But I was in that business, and then I was really focused on medical practice management. So the HR company kind of ballooned into this medical practice management company because we were working so much with medical doctors because that was my background, right? I'd been with doctors. And so I had a medical distributorship and I had this medical practice management company and and I had a medical pharmacy. And so what I teach, but when I did a lot of entrepreneurial coaching or what I learned to do for myself is that you want these internal revenue, I mean, internal referral sources. So what would happen is that I would see that I was ordering a lot of something. So I would basically create a company to where I would house all of these things. And then my company would have to buy from my company, right? And then I noticed that, you know, doctors were using a lot of topical, you know, topical pharmaceuticals. So I created a distributorship to where, you know, these doctors would buy from my company, right? So they were, my clients were buying from my other company. And so I had like three or four medical companies and they were all just kind of feeding off themselves. So I didn't have to go outside. So I tell people like, as much as you can do, create your own referral sources so that you never have to go outside. Like you can always eat, right? You can always eat off yourself pretty much, if that makes sense. That sounded weird and cannibalistic almost, but anyway, (laughs) 
But it, it works. You created an enterprise that like continually fed itself. I mean, it, this it's hundred percent. Exactly right. I mean, exactly. it, it makes sense. That's what, and a lot of people don't recognize that because I own six of my own businesses and they're like, oh my God, that's so much. I'm like, not really. It's like six pieces of a pie that right. create the full circle. And that's what like the big organizations do. That's how the big conglomerates become the big conglomerates. Look at right. Amazon buying Whole Foods and so on and so forth, where they're just exactly. expanding into a large enterprise exactly. that you never have to go outside of. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Keep it in the family, right? And so I had this whole thing. So the reason I'm telling you that story is so that you can understand that the major transition that happened that led me here. So one day, a friend of mine, and let me just say this too, if I didn't own the company that was feeding the other companies, I would at least be able to get a piece, the comp- the external companies. So whatever company was feeding my clients, I would say, all right, what's your referral program? Like, I want my company to get a 3% kickback on that or referral fee or whatever. So we were eating off of literally everything, whether I owned it or not, if that makes sense. So one day, one of my very good friends and also business partners, this was a guy that was doing the mark. He was basically the marketing arm of my medical practice management company. And he's a crazy entrepreneur. He's starting a neobank right now, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, he called me and said, hey, do you want to buy a magazine? Okay, friend, I'm setting up medical practices all over the Southeast. I have a medical distributorship. I have a pharmacy. Like I got a whole literally enterprise going on in medical. Why are you asking me about buying a magazine? Like, hey, let me set up your practice. and want to buy some ads. You know what I mean? It's like that it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't go together. And he was like, fair enough. I get it. You know, whatever. All right. I'll table it. You know, I'll tell him no, whatever. So I was like, all right, cool. We forgot about it. So he called me back about a week ago and he said, now, mind you, the magazine is the magazine now that I've had for seven years. The magazine at that time was one month old. It had been literally in production for one month. And the woman that founded the magazine had basically realized that she this wasn't her thing. Sales was not her thing. And so she knew my friend. And so he basically came back to me and said, look, I looked at these numbers I've seen how much money this can make. And I'm, I'm telling you, I think this is something you should do because I lived in the area. He said, I think this is something you should do. And if you do it, I'll do it with you. I'll invest in it. So we could be 50-50 partners and let's just see what we can do with this thing. So I was like, all right, well, send me the numbers. And I never will forget, I opened up the spreadsheet, right? And I looked at the numbers and I was like, I called him back. I was like, yeah, let's talk about this. And, and that's what happened. We bought that magazine, Zach, together. And I have never, even through COVID, never lost money on that magazine. Not in one month. I've had months maybe where it might have done, you know, maybe we net a thousand instead of 15 or 20,000. But I've never lost money in that magazine. Where, you know, when you start a business, you know, there are people who go two, three years in the red before they ever hit the black. Right. I mean, it's customary when you start a business, you know, and you should prepare for six, 12 months of like being able to operate on your own because there's no revenue coming in. And that's how I got into media. We bought the magazine. uh, We built the magazine. I started another magazine and I built that. And then I sold that company, did not make the same mistake twice. And I sold that. I actually sold the magazine I have now and bought it back, which is a whole nother story. 
And then we just kept expanding from there. So I know that was a long answer to your question, but I tell that story because I like for people to really understand the total, it wasn't even a pivot. It was a complete transition. I went from medical to media and I had no idea about publishing, about magazines, about writing, editorial. I didn't know any of that. But what I do know is sales and I know business and the fundamentals don't change. You know what I mean? The fundamentals of those things do not change. And to be quite frank with you, I'm an opportunist in a, in a good way. I think we have these terms out here that people label as bad words, and they really don't have to be bad words, like hustle and opportunist. You know, an opportunist is somebody that sees an opportunity and takes it. I use it for the benefit of everybody and not, you know, the detriment of anyone, Right. But sometimes you get these opportunities and if you don't take them, shame on you. And so, you know, we just had an amazing opportunity to build a business and make money. And at the end of the day, I've had several different businesses. I've lost a crap ton of money and I've made money. And luckily for me, I've made more money than I've lost. So it kind of works. But I got to tell you, that decision to buy this company is how I ended up in this position and just ended up being able to make, to make huge ways in this whole media, you know, industry. Yeah. I love that, that you framed it in the opportunistic way. And I think that's something that a lot of people, especially in entrepreneurship, they'll shut their mind down to something like that. Cause it is so different, but you yeah. said something that I repeat, I, my background is much more operations. Like I love operations, structuring, framing that part of business is where I thrive. And yeah. people will question like, oh, I do this. Have you ever worked at this company? I'm like, no, but the basics of business are the same across everything from sales to That's obviously right. change certain contextual pieces. But if you know business, you know business. If you know sales, right. you freaking know sales. That's and I think right. you prove that, which only shows like, don't turn away that opportunity because there are always opportunities out there if you're just listening for them and looking for them. Right. And sometimes even if you're not... I mean, like I was absolutely not like literally I turned it away when he came and he said, and I was like, I don't know anything about selling magazine, like magazine ads and running a magazine. That's silly. I have a great business. And he was like, all right. But when he came back, you know, whenever opportunity comes back at you, right. I take that as like, you know, for me, it's God. It's him giving me an opportunity. Okay. Come on now, Michelle. (laughs) You said no once, but I'm coming back to you with this. Like something keeps coming to you. You keep getting opportunity to do something. And you're like, it comes back two, three times. At some point, you got to say, I need to look at this. And that's what it was. When And to be frank too, Zach, you know, um, we had just finished a practice at that time, which was very grueling. I just set up a pediatric practice from start to finish. And one of my... um employees was having a really hard time. And then we all had a hard time because of that. And it was just a very long, arduous process. And I was a little burnt out. So the timing actually was kind of cool. So when he came back around with it, I said, let me just look into this. But I'm telling you, when I opened up, I will never forget the day when I opened up that spreadsheet and I saw the numbers for the potential of what you could actually make in this magazine. I was like, okay. And when he said, I'll do it with you, I'll invest 50-50. We'll, we'll put equal amounts in it. We'll both, you know, we'll both go at it. And when he said that, I was like, okay, you know what I mean? Like sometimes God is like talking to you and sometimes he's really talking to you. Yeah. 
And I love that aspect of your journey. And I think a lot of people are so terrified by that. They have that fear that defeats them in that moment, whether it be anxiety, bad experience, maybe not even the knowledge of know-how or don't want to have the patience to learn that aspect of things. What would you look back, the Michelle Willis of way back when, what would you look back and tell her knowing what you know now? Buy more property. Yeah, that's the, the, I get asked this question all the time and I'm telling you, that's all, that's the number one answer, buy property. And I did have property. I lost a, remember I said I lost a crap ton of money. I lost a crap ton of money in the real estate fall of 06, 07, 08. Whew, I felt that one hard. But yeah, I would buy more property at an early age. I also would say, keep the smartest people around you and never be the smartest person in the room, which is one of my mantras now. I say that all the time and I live by that. And listen to old people. The the wise ones of the world. (laughs) The wise ones of the world. You know, I think about the people I have access to now, like the Andy Youngs and the Mac Wilborns and the, you know, well, John Lewis, he's passed now. But, you know, the people that you have access to in your circle, whether they're famous or whether they're just your grandma that has tons of knowledge and wisdom that surpass anything you could ever have. Like, we need to just sit and listen to these people and figure out what they have to say. You know what I'm saying? 100%. I'm a part of a few of the American legions from the military side, the veteran side of, of my life and going in there and just hearing like the old salty dogs talk about the way it was. Sometimes you shake your head because you're like, y'all are dumb. But other times it's like, <laughs> you know, they don't understand the new age, of course. I mean, these are older guys, but then it's like when they really get into the life lessons of stuff, it's like, if you can sit back and take the application of like current value from what they're saying, I think it's just truly powerful because you never know the journey and experience they had they might not understand how the world works today, but in the way their world works, if you can apply it to today, I think what you're saying is an amazing point. And I'd love to know what are some other resources that have helped guide your journey? Are you a big reader, podcaster, listener? What aspect, like, is there something like one resource you'd say, hey, go get this today to change your life? Yes. Okay. So I don't know how old you are, but I might be older than you. Although you look much older than me, Zach. I mean, um, <laughs> hang on. Yeah, I'm in my 50s, I swear. <laughs> so one of the things I did when I was in sales, I was a sales rep for years and years and years. So I was on the road a lot. And as a sales rep, this is before we had like iPods and, you know, I, whatever. Cracker Barrel used to have books on tape. Did you know this about this? Okay, I'm about to shoot you a bird again. Okay, and so what would happen is you could go to Cracker Barrel and you could get the you could get books and you they had CDs. Okay, and that's fine. CD, what is that? Nobody knows. Okay, and you could just you would rent them. So what would happen is you go to Cracker Barrel, you check out like a book on tape or whatever, and then you pay like I don't know depending on how good the book was or how old it was or how many pages it was, that was the price. So some were like $2.99, some were $7.99, whatever. Anyway, so I would always check out books on tape because my territory was never near my house. Like I never had an office right around the corner from me. I would have to drive an hour, hour and a half just to get into my territory to see my doctors. So for me, what I would do in that space is listen to books. 
So I'm saying this because to answer your question, I there was one year, I think I wrote down every book I listened to, and it must have been like 182 books or something like that. I literally on a legal pad every time I listen to a book. And the things I got from these books are the things that I I know right now. Like I remember I listened to this one guy who was Australian or English or something, and he was like a motivator. And he always talked about multiple streams of income and about having faucets. I remember listening to him and visualizing turning on faucets at different times. And he would say, turn on one faucet first, make sure the water is flowing well. He, he said, don't turn on all the faucets at once because it won't work. Got to turn on one faucet, make sure the water is coming out in a nice stream, and then another faucet, another faucet, another faucet. And I listened to a crap ton of fiction. I love fiction books. So that's why I fell in love with Harlan Corbin, I think, is who has like tons of stuff on Netflix now, which is crazy. But we would listen to all of his books. And so, I mean, just, yeah. So I've read and listened to so many books. That's where I've gotten so much knowledge. Just like, and I just soak it up and soak it in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I can't remember who it was, but I, I think a great practice is turning your turning your commute into a classroom. And that was something that when I was driving from, I used to live over in Potter Springs coming to Buckhead every day. And it was like an hour of a ride, that time frame. of course there were days where I'd want to tune it out and just play some music, but sure. taking the time to listen to a book. I mean, you can get through, like you're talking about, you can get through a lot of books. Oh my gosh. And this, these days it's like audible and you can put it on speed and a half and you don't have to like change the discs or these books on like multiple discs back in the day. That's cute. <laughs> Real cute. Really cute. <laughs> but all joking aside. Yes, there all were. <laughs> I mean, some of them were like lots of discs. It's like, ah. And some of them, they'd leave on a cliffhanger and you'd be like, oh, I got to hurry because that's good. Because oh, I want to hear what's happening. You know. Oh, uh, the good really old days. My, kid, my kids, I'm sure, are in, in, are in earshot. <laughs> right now. No, all joking aside, I mean, I think it's a, a great practice to have. And, and obviously, we're able to do that so much more fluently, like now, where it's like you don't really have an excuse not to oh, be doing that. No. Right. Oh, yeah. And I would love to know I, I know you have the TV show, you, you have so much content going on. I want to highlight that before I let you go for today. Tell us a little bit about your show, what you talk about, what your area of expertise is now. What's like your favorite topic to unpack with your audience? Hmm. Wow. You know, really lately I've been on this, this black wealth and generational wealth and black history now. And I think it's because I have a new show that's out. It's called Black is the New Green. I don't know if you've seen that. We've been promoting it pretty heavily. And Black is the New Green is um, basically I interview Black founders, Black startup, Black tech, Black investors, Black incubators, accelerators, and people who, who are integral in that cause or in that space. And Black is the New Green really is talking about how this next wave of Black entrepreneurs is funding basically the American economy, period. And, you know, traditionally, that has not been the case. Not because we weren't out there, but because we weren't allowed access to the space. And so because of that, I think it, it's really got me in this mindset of, you know, the amazing things that these Black founders and Black investors and startup guys and women are doing and these stories that really are, are going untold. And so I get to tell the stories, you know, of the Black 
you know, Calendly is founded by a black guy that sold for the 300 million. Don't get my a ton of money. I'm insane. Yeah. yeah, a ton of money. But what's crazy is nobody knew he was black. I didn't know he was black. They're like Calendly Lee sold. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they're like, it's a black guy. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? So in that space, you know, I'm just hypersensitive, I think, um, to all of the amazing black things that are going on, especially in startup and tech. And I love unpacking that right now. I love unpacking the on anything in the entrepreneurial space about business and small business. Like, I don't know how to run a $500 million corporation. I would imagine the principles are pretty much the same, but it looks a lot different. Um, but what I do know is, you know, creating models and starting business and scaling, you know, for small businesses. And so I love having those discussions. And I also like talking about parenting because, you know, that book, a book about it. And so I like getting people's perspectives on all of these different things, not just giving mine, right? I That's why I love what I do, like what you're doing now, because I get to ask questions of some of the most prolific people, right? To get their perspectives. And it doesn't really matter to me whether or not the perspectives align. Yep. It's just a learning of how people think, what they think, why they think. And sometimes through those questions, everybody ends up on a different page than where they started. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Which is very interesting to watch perspectives change as you're having a conversation or having the conversation. And I think that's what in the content I've seen from you. And I know you have we have a mutual acquaintance, uh, Ronald Richards, who is heavily engaged. You know Ronald? I do. I do. He's heavily engaged here in the community networking space of different things here in Atlanta. I mean, he's all over the place. And I mean, just listening to some of the content that you're touching on and the things you're doing, I absolutely love it because I think that, especially here in Atlanta, we do have a very mixed culture in Atlanta, but it's still in that transformation stage, right? We're still trying to expand it. I was born and raised in Smyrna. So I remember when it was not culturally diverse at all. And, really? And we're in a very different space now, especially living in Midtown. I'm right next to the Fox Theater, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. So I'm in a totally different arena now than compared to where I grew up in Cobb County. And, you know, hearing that you're, you're pushing this forward. My ex-wife and the co-founder of our nonprofit is a black female, and she teaches uh, women self-defense. And she was a police your officer. Ex-wife is black. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at you! And, that? I thought hey, you had a little bit of something <laughs> rolling around in you. I wasn't sure, uh, but I felt like it. You know, a little bit of soul in there. <laughs> but no, she—I mean, hearing her journey because she was a police officer as well. Her, hearing her journey from being a police officer, then she was the public information officer, and now she's the chair of our nonprofit. It, it's just such a different perspective that I'll truly never understand. And even having the empathy towards it's difficult as a white guy and I was a cop in the military. Right. So it's like, I am very much segmented away from what you're working on. So I love seeing that you're pushing that out there. I'm honored to have you as part of this as a show, because you bring such an amazing perspective to a, a different arena than what I'm able to touch. So I'm truly honored for that. And I really want to know what, with everything you're doing, the, the show, the works, the media company, what's really the the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world as you're putting all this amazing stuff out there? Yeah. So it's funny. I think about, when I think about legacy, I think about it in two ways. I think about the legacy that I'll leave when I'm not here, which apparently won't be too long because I'm so old, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> And also the legacy that 
live like living, right? My living legacy. And so for me, I think my the legacy I want to leave really is this significance play. That significance is the goal. It's not success. You know, it's how we affect each other so that each other can affect each other. It's not about us. It's not about our tight circle. It's really about everybody else. We were put on the earth to affect everybody else. We were. We don't, a lot of us don't want to accept it, which is why the world is in shambles right now. A lot of people don't want to admit that or or don't even know how and don't realize that that is the case. But that is the case for whoever's listening or watching or whatever. You were put on the earth for other people, period. Now, whether or not you affect anyone else is on you. And, you know, I'll leave that where it is. And so that's the legacy. And so what I'm doing, absolutely, I want the world to be better for my kids and their kids, but for your kids, you know, and their grandkids, right? So that everybody plays at such a high level that it would be impossible for us to fail as a people and as a world, right? Um, The legacy right now is the same, right? I mean, we're literally watching this legacy, you know, and thank you for highlighting the things I'm doing because you're giving me, you're reminding me of the examples of what I'm doing right now, but it's all those things, but it's just in real time. It's kind of like Black History Month, right? Martin Pratt said this, a friend of mine, and Kanye said it also, that it's not Black history. It's like, it's Black future. It's Black present. It's like right now, right? So take the leave the Black on or take it off, whatever it is. What we're doing, we're doing right at this exact second. And we can do it. We can build a great business right now. You can have a great relationship with your kids right now. You can have great relationships right now. You can do anything you want to do right now. And I think that's what I want people to get from me. Like right now, everything is possible. Like the world is your oyster. People ask me, you know, they see me acting now, right? And they're like, you act too? Like, is there anything you don't do? And I'm like, there's a lot I don't do. But what I don't want to happen is to be on my my hospital bed. <laughs> Somebody's literally moving behind me in the camera. Did you see that? I saw like, a little hand, trying, a little hand. Yeah, a little tiny hand back there. And they're trying not to be seen, but they're absolutely <laughs> being seen, which is not going to be good for them after we're done. In any case, I can't, I'm trying to remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah. What I don't want to do is be on my hospital bed and say, I wish I had. It's like that Expedia commercial out there right now. And it's like, you know, what's the likelihood that you'll say, I wish I had a thinner TV or I wish I had like a better pen or whatever. But I wish I had explored more. I wish I had traveled more. I don't want to be that person. Like I refuse to be that person. So anything I think that I want to do or I want to affect or any change that I want to have, Zach, I literally am going for it. I'm going for everything. And and it might not work. You know what I mean? Like I might end up not being the best singer in the world and that's fine. Okay. But I'm going to karaoke the heck out of it. I'm just going to try and I mean, well, not try. I'm going to do everything and let the chips fall where they may. I absolutely love that, Michelle. And you're definitely well on your way and you're, you're taking those chances and now you're taking chances. You're betting on yourself. And I think that's like one of the most powerful things we can do as entrepreneurs and as human beings as a whole. And I want to give the audience an opportunity. What's the best place to reach out to you, connect with you, get all your content, go ahead and plug everything you've got going. So let me back up because you said something I love. You said bet on yourself. And again, for anybody that's listening, watching, whatever, and we hear this all the time, but what does that mean? Bet 
on yourself. If you bet on yourself and if you're confident that you're doing what you were put on the earth to do, you can't lose. You might not win every single round, but the end game will work in your favor, period, right? And you have to sometimes, you got to take that risk. You got to say, I'm going to go my way because I know inside this is what's supposed to happen. And everybody doesn't have that passion and that purpose and that fire in their belly, so to speak. I get that. But if you do, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, work in a system that will train you and bet on yourself and get out there and do something about it. Because you will be on your deathbed saying, I wish I had if you don't. Okay, so people can find me at Michelle Taylor Willis on just about everything. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Michelle T. Willis. I don't do a lot on Twitter. Every now and then I come up with a very, you know, kind of clever saying and I'll just put it out there. But Instagram, LinkedIn, those are my jams. And of course, where can we find the TV show, um, your book? Make sure we know exactly where to go find all of that. Okay, so the TV show is on the BTV network. So if you have Roku or Amazon Fire, what you need to do is just go and search for VTV network. That's very television. I don't even know what it stands for. So VTV network, and you can go and then add the state, the network. I actually walked somebody through this this morning and they found all my TV shows and they're like, oh my gosh. So they're like, hopefully still binge watching me as we speak. But I've interviewed amazing people, Jasmine Guy, Scales from the Napa Roots. Locally, I've interviewed, I think, like tons of mayors. I've interviewed tons of great people. And then the radio station is here in Atlanta. It's 1100 AM, real 1100 AM. But it's also on the iHeartRadio network. So you can just search for real 1100 AM. I'm on the radio every Wednesday from 4 to 6. We have a blast on the radio. I'm the drive time DJ, I guess, if you want to call it. And we talk about, I mean, I interview everybody, NFL athletes, you know, professional athletes, entertainers, singers, local business owners, anybody and everybody could end up in my studio. And Zach, you got to come. I would love to have you on the station. But yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're there. And then let's see, the magazine is Sofu Lifestyle on Instagram. Gagno Media is Gagno Media on just about everything. G-A-G-N-A-N-T. You can buy my book, author, MichelleTaylorWillis.com. Raising Significance, that's the name of the book. You can see my commercial. It's like Reading Nationally. It's on Instagram and socials. And I don't know, maybe it's on TV. I haven't seen it yet, but it is. And I got a film coming out. I'm making my film debut next month. My film will be streaming. And so it's not streaming my film. Where? I'm in it. I'm streaming in it. where? I don't, it's a link. I don't know. It's, yeah, I should know this. Send it to me. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Thank you. But yeah, that's my actual film debut, which I'm very excited about that. And yeah, so awesome. sorry, you asked a loaded question. Yeah, I did. And I knew there would be lots of answers because you got so much amazing stuff out there. And Honestly, I truly just appreciate you taking the time to share all of it with us. And of course, everybody listening, tune back in this Friday where Michelle's going to get a little bit more tactical with us and give us some action steps that we can implement today. Michelle, I appreciate your time and all the wisdom you brought to us today. Thank you for having me and for calling me old. Appreciate that. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, 
I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.